Hello sweet souls, I'm Lucy Victoria Jackson and it is my honour to welcome you to Roots and Rise with Lucy. My aim with this podcast is to create a safe space to explore something that can often feel daunting, investing in your wellness. I am so humbled by the response to our first couple of episodes. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened and shared their feedback so far. Please do make sure you subscribe, rate, review and share if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Every time you do, it makes us that little bit more visible to others. Now, this week I had the most amazing chat with registered nutritional therapist Helen Halliday. For the past three years, Helen has run a clinic in Ascot, Berkshire in England, and she uses the principles of functional medicine to offer a personalized approach to nutritional therapy and lifestyle management. Helen also works at the Optimum Health Clinic in London, which is an award-winning integrated nutrition and psychology clinic team specializing in supporting people with chronic fatigue, ME and fibromyalgia. Having had a personal experience of living with Emmy, Helen brings a knowledgeable and empathetic approach to her clients. I learned so much from this chat with Helen and I'm going to be listening and re-listening to this episode quite a few times. The main topics we covered were Helen's personal journey from marketing in the corporate world to nutritional therapist with all of her health twists and turns along the way, what stress actually is and what it does to us and how we can manage it in a holistic way. And finally, the big M word, the menopause and the perimenopause. We're breaking the taboo around talking about these topics openly and again, looking into what they actually are and how we can manage these transitions holistically. So settle in. This is one that you're going to want to listen to a couple of times if you suffer with stress and or if you're a woman of any age. So do feel free to listen as many times as you like and share with all of your friends who may benefit. And at the end, I'm going to be talking you through a yogic breath technique. It's called Nadi Shodana. And this breath technique is designed to help us rebalance and let go of some of the stress. So please do stick around at the end if you feel that's a tool that will be useful to you. Okay, let's do this. Helen Halliday on Roots and Rise with Lucy. Helen, welcome to Root and Rise with Lucy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you. You are so welcome. Now, I must say that you are a very unique guest on this podcast because actually you're our first guest who has experienced contracting COVID-19. So how are you, first of all? I know it's been a really tough few months for you, but how are you now and, and how has all, all that been for you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's been, a, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's been a really tough couple of months. And um, mm. I like the way you said, you're very unique that you've been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it, lockdown started and we had this beautiful plan and we're going to build a veggie patch and it's going to be a great opportunity for the family to spend more time with each other. And then three days into lockdown, I took ill and then 24 hours later, my husband took ill and we were just thrown into absolute chaos oh my um, goodness. We're, now I can just I, I don't know 100% if it was COVID 
but we're, we're sort of fairly confident that it was. Yes. Um, so until we've been tested, I can't confidently say. But yeah, I've got, as you'll probably learn throughout the podcast anyway, I have some immune issues. So it was always going to take its toll on me a little bit more than my husband. But it's been eight, you know, I was off work for nearly eight weeks um, and I had quite a few nasty side effects. I had no lung issues. I had no cough, but I had every other symptom going. And mm. just when I thought I was getting better, I developed some inflammation around the heart. And so that really sort of knocked me back a bit. And now I've got a little bit of post-viral fatigue. So, mm. uh, you know, it, it, I've been warned six months recovery, which is quite Goodness, shocking, wow. really. But it is a really nasty virus. And what was the toughest part was the children, you know, had to self-isolate. We had course. to self-isolate within the house, away from them. And we couldn't call on anybody for help. So we were having meals delivered to the house. It was crazy. But I think we're at the other side now. And it could have been worse. People have experienced a lot worse. And it does make you sort of reflect a bit from that perspective. Yeah, it's yeah, been tough. Yeah, goodness. But... Oh, bless you. Well, I'm so glad that you're feeling better now and you are kind of back at work, aren't you? A few days yes. a week. So slowly you're kind of building yeah. back up. Bless yeah. you. Well, now I've known you for a couple of years now and mm. we first met actually because you've been coming to my yoga classes for quite a few years. And mm. I think I, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that you first came to kind of help you manage your chronic illness that you've actually already touched upon. So maybe let's go right back to the beginning of that stage of your story. So rewinding mm. those years back, kind of looking at corporate Helen and your previous life in marketing, and then yeah. how did how did that Helen end up to to the Helen that you are today? So, yeah, well, I mean, I've been doing, it's interesting because, yes, I'm trying to work out how long I have been doing your yoga and it has been quite a few years. And I think it has. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a blink and you've lost a couple of years. I've been doing yoga on and off, actually, for quite, I was work. I was thinking about it in preparation for this. And I, I, I remember doing yoga, you know, a good 15, nearly 20 years ago. So I've, it's been in and out of my life for some time. But I think I really started taking it more seriously over the past couple of years without a doubt and yeah I mean where gosh the corporate Helen it just feels like a different person <laughs> but yeah I, you know I did the classic went to university did a degree in marketing you know because that's what you do and you know I always remember my mum saying you must make sure you go and work in business because you know so you know that's what I did I did a graduate program at British Airways it was fantastic and then followed down this wonderful career of marketing which is great, I think, when you're in your late 20s and early 30s, but it's yes. not sustainable and it's fun and it's exciting and you're burning the candle at both ends. And, you know, it was really good fun, but it kind of reached a, a tipping point for me, um, you know, really. So I'm 48 now. I'd say it was late 30s, early 40s, you know, have three children uh, and all of a sudden, you know, working in that corporate environment when you've got a family it just changes everything. You know, mm. you can't do the seven o'clock meetings because you've got to get children to school and you can't do this and that. And I, I'll, never, I'll never forget sitting in the car one morning and my boss phoning me saying, where are you? And it was quarter to eight in the morning. We've got, to, we've got a meeting at eight o'clock. And I thought, I'm dropping my daughter off at nursery. I'm eating oh, my goodness. breakfast in the car. 
can you give me a break here? You know, and um, yeah, I think what happened was I had this, you know, I had it all. I had this, you know, beautiful husband, lovely children, and financially we were comfortable, and this lovely career that I'd worked so hard for. But I just wasn't enjoying it anymore, and mm. I was getting colds all the time. I would put a bit of weight on. Um, you know, I was, I was beginning to get tired all the time, and and then there was this defining year where it all went rapidly downhill and mm. I've had a pacemaker for years I've got a, a electrical fault in my heart that's quite rare so I was due to have my pacemaker change so that was a surgery I had that done and then around the same time I had this nasty bite to my leg that got infected and I got you know the start of septicemia so then yes. you know oh. I was really ill with that and but oh, no, don't worry, I kept going to work. You know, I was in work too. Oh my God. Having my pacemaker fitted, you know. Oh, bless because you, you do. And, you know, That's I what we carried do, on yeah. going to the gym and I was still doing my half marathons. Um, and my daughter um, around that time was diagnosed because she was very young with cerebral palsy. She's got it mildly. So I had all this stress physically and through work and all this emotional at home stress going on. And you could, looking back, I was clearly beginning to just not be well and then a year later my daughter was having surgery at Great Ormond Street and we were it was really major surgery and we were living there we had to live there for eight weeks she had to learn to wow. walk again all this it was very stressful and I caught a cold at the hospital um or flu and mm. and I and I crashed and I think that was the tipping point for me which was I'd been living this stressful life and just going and going and going and going and going and there had been all of a sudden the, the the icing was the cake was you know when I got this cold um which turned into flu and I just didn't get out of bed for about three weeks um oh my but goodness I had no choice because she came back from you know Great Ormond Street and then we had to go through months of physio and my husband had to get back to work and so I pushed it and I just carried on trying to push it and actually what I should have done was said help people I need somebody to come in and help here I can't do this I'm recovering from flu we need help but I didn't and I carried on and that's where I started to see these signs of um what I now know is chronic fatigue any mm -hmm. um post-viral any call it what you want it's all the same stuff yes um, I, I was exhausted absolutely exhausted and it wasn't just a I'm tired I need to go to bed early it was every single minute of the day was a slog and and then Gosh. alongside this you know I had this brain fog my nervous system was on fire so you know I was sensitive to touch um you know I, my sleep was suddenly really disturbed uh I, I was moody uh you know um and I just looked different I look back at pictures you know my you know my I've got sort of bags under my you know everything just wasn't right yeah um, yeah so um yeah, so it, but it was around this time, and I've kind of jumped forward a little bit, that actually in the middle of all of this, I did decide to quit my job um, in the corporate world um, before this crash. It was a few months before that, so I probably fast-forwarded a bit. And it was during that time that I said, enough's enough, you know. Um, and thank God I did, because the crash happened after I'd left. Um, wow, and I decided goodness. to embark on a journey of um, doing something completely different. Um, and that's where I found... You know, I wanted to get into the sort of health environment and follow my dream, which was really nutrition. 
Yes. And that's a different story on its own, if you want me to tell you about that. But yes. I, uh, yeah, I'd yeah. read a book, uh, gosh, like when I was in my mid-20s, I'd read this book called um, uh, The Food Doctor. And I remember reading it and it was just telling you all about the different foods. And so I'd thought, oh, I want to do that one day. Um, and so I'd kept reading and reading and building this big, big library of books. And then I ended up doing like an access course, you know, when I was at work to... Uh, try and see if I could get on a degree and it yes. was around this time then when I just said enough's enough with corporate life that I decided to go back and retrain and did a degree in uh, personalized nutrition and a diploma in nutritional therapy so yeah. whilst all this was going on in my life I was finishing trying to finish a master's degree oh which wow. was no wonder I oh crashed my gosh. I know oh my goodness so yeah Bless so I you. so I basically turned from actually the corporate world to becoming a nutritional therapist and what I didn't realize at the time was I wanted to be a nutritional therapist and I love nutrition but actually at the time I didn't realize that it was going to be my savior as well yeah because yeah. Uh, it was by hooking up with uh, uh um, whilst I was still a graduate a nutritional therapist who was a lot more experienced than me who helped me to make sure that I was supporting what was going on for me through um, not just food, but lifestyle changes. And that's yes. where all the yoga came in for me as well, because um, I had to suddenly stop running. I had to suddenly stop being super mum. I had to suddenly stop thinking that the only form of exercise is to do something quite energetic that burns you out. Yes, and that's where yeah. I discovered, that's where I realized that and I do think that yoga, for me, was one of the saving points because on the days where I really couldn't do much physically, actually 10 minutes of just gentle stretching or breathing was breathing. Yes. Was brilliant. Mm. It can make such a difference. Oh, bless you. I just have this image of you almost as like a hamster on a wheel, just kind of <laughs> trying to keep your little feet running and running and running and all these little things kind of being thrown at your at your little wheel. And then all of a sudden, just kind of just coming crashing. crashing. Down. Yeah. But, mm. but, you know, I think when we have those experiences, and when we've been through those, um, those things ourselves, it, it can definitely make us better at then what we choose to do afterwards. So I think you know, I certainly yeah. have that view of, of what I've been through. I wouldn't wouldn't be the teacher that I am today without everything I'd been through before. And no, I'm sure it helps you to be more relatable to your, you know, your clients as well. Because that's what so many of us struggle with is that kind of that stress and that relentlessness of life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that definitely... And it's no, I agree. And it's no coincidence. It's funny, isn't it? Because you know, I now, so my career has taken me three years now. I've been practicing nutritional therapy. And first of all, let me, for the record, say I'm not perfect. I don't sit and meditate every morning and do beautiful yoga every morning and I stay yes. calm. And, you know, <laughs> life still happens. I still have a family. and But I, I definitely know when to stop, check in yes. and say, hang on, it's spiraling a bit. Because there is a personality type it comes with. So I know I'm that personality type. But also, three years in, you know, that's sort of whilst I've been doing my nutritional therapy as a private practice and I see a lot of people who fall into this category, it's actually what the defining moment for me was about a year ago when I got the opportunity to work um, at a clinic in London, the Optimum Health Clinic, which specialises in chronic fatigue and ME and fibromyalgia. And mm. that suddenly 
you know, uh, everything that I've experienced, I can now, I'm now, you know, more informed, better trained, you know, I'm working with experts in this field to help all those other people that, you know, end up off, often on the path that I did. Um, yes. And that feels good because not only am I applying the science and the clinical experience, but my own personal experience, it just makes yeah, a sure. lot of difference, especially when you sat with somebody and they're just saying, I just don't know if I'm going to get better. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And you can say, look, I've been there. I, I know what yes. this feels like, you know, just you've got to have patience in the system and just go with it. And that makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. So um, kind of what you've said, I think stress obviously played a really big factor in in your your crash and in your ME coming on. And I think stress is something that so many of us will, well, I think everyone will experience it at some point in our lives. But I think we kind of see it as just something that we we have to go through without actually considering the long-term health detriments that it you know it might have to our health. So maybe can we dive into a little bit more about what stress actually is first of mm. all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've done a few talks over the years and it's interesting doing you know talks to corporates things like that and stress is definitely the thing they always say oh can you talk about stress because yes. um you know stress is part of our lives, right? We can't yeah. take away you know, things happen, as we know, we're all living in a very stressful environment at the moment with this pandemic, but yeah. stress happens, people get ill, people die, you know, grievances happen, you know, things happen in life. So we can't change that. But our bodies are wired and programmed to respond to stress. So if you think back to the caveman days, you know, it's the saber-toothed tiger chasing the caveman, um, yes. and um you know and there's that and we needed that we needed that didn't we yeah yeah absolutely our, our, we are programmed to do that and our body produces adrenaline and the adrenal will you know dilate the pupils flood the body with what glucose it's got flood it into the muscles so we can run you know we run sweat as we, as we run the muscles yeah exactly <laughs> and that's why you know our bodies are programmed to that so today if you had to slam your brakes on um because you you know you're about to run someone over or if you know, um, there's an emergency situation, your body will respond in exactly the same way as it would be running away from the saber-toothed tiger. You'll get sweaty, mm. your eyes will dilate, you'll, you, your heart will pump faster because that's the body's program to do that. And that's good because it will save lives. You know, we need mm -hmm. to be able to do that. But mm. what happens if you are in this constant state? So actually the body doesn't know the difference between having an argument with your boss or your husband or you know mm -hmm. constantly running late for something or constantly trying to deal with stressful events doesn't know the difference between that and the saber-toothed tiger so if you're living in this constant environment where you're constantly putting your body in that stressful state then it is always producing this adrenaline now that's not too bad because as I say it will keep you going but we have this other hormone called cortisol and that's produced as an after effect to adrenaline. And a lot of mm -hmm. people have heard of cortisol. Some people haven't. But cortisol, you know, a lot of people will call it the stress hormone. And yes. that's critical to life as well. You know, so we've got this after effect of cortisol, which, you know, just so people know what it does, it helps to do so many things in the body. It regulates blood sugar. It regulates our metabolism, our weight. It, it supports the regulation of our immune system. Uh, it helps our sleep. It, our mood, 
uh, our, um, uh, our salt balance, our sodium potassium balance. So, you know, that's just a few things. So if all of a sudden you're living in this constantly stressed state and you are constantly telling your body to produce this hormone cortisol, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to get tired of doing that. It's going to say, really, have I got to do that again? And what can happen with some people, you can start to see imbalances in this cortisol and they're either overproducing it or they're underproducing it because the body can't keep up. And that's mm-hmm. where we start to see these initial problems because if it regulates blood sugar and weight in the immune system and our sleep, yeah, then then you start to see sleep issues. You start to see, yes. uh, you know, abdominal fat. You can see this in- increased weight gain around uh, the abdominal. You start to get dizziness, lightheadedness, low mood, low blood sugar. You start to get digestive systems, you know, uh, you know, all, all these different signs and symptoms and fatigue, you know, um, yes, is one of those. Yeah. And, and so you're starting to see the effect it can have. And that's the short term effect. Then you start yes. to see impacts on the immune system, you know, and then if you're not sleeping well, you, you, before you know it, you know, you start to see other hormone changes and mood changes. So you start to get these long term effects on the body, which can then, as I know through personal experience, but I see a lot in clinic, you know, very long term sort of um, uh, uh, physical um physiological changes in the body and that's where you start mm. to see chronic illnesses form so Goodness. that's quite a depressing yes. way of looking at it, it there's is, a really lovely it? quote yeah. yeah there's a um there's a really lovely quote where um i think it's a professor i don't even know if he's alive now it's some kind of physician professor from the science days years ago called Hans sale and he always said it's not the stressor that determines the response it's the individual's internal reaction that triggers the response. So what he says mm. is, is what one person can experience as stressed, the next can view entirely differently. Yes. So you know, we've all got to deal with that stress, but it's how we deal with it to how prevent all those it. issues that I think, and he obviously thinks is the key. For sure. And of course, that's that's where yoga can come in really handy with all the breathing and all the mindfulness and kind of knowing that we're not defined by um, by our thoughts and by our surroundings. It's actually what we cultivate on the inside. But how about um, practical tips from a nutritional perspective then on how we can help to manage our stress levels? Is there anything that we can yeah. do there? Yeah, various things. Absolutely. And I think it's about first thing is getting the foundation right. You know, are you eating? Sure. Are you eating regularly? You'll be surprised how many people you've got one extreme to the other. If your body's in this stress state, you know, it switches off the digestive system. So you're not hungry. Mm. And you'd be amazed how many people will just live on caffeine throughout the day and then oh I've not eaten all day. You know, and (laughs) what you're doing is you're loading the body with by putting caffeine in you're just stimulating more adrenaline in the body, telling the body to release what sugar supplies it's got. Um, So, you know, getting the basics right. Are you eating regular meals that are nutritionally balanced would be the foundations for for anybody, whether they're stressed or not, but definitely for supporting stress. Because one of the first things that can get thrown out of balance is your blood sugar when you're stressed for the reason I just explained the adrenaline will yes. tell the body to release its supply of um 
sugar from or glucose from its stores flood that into the system it'll use it and then you'll be left with nothing and then you come crashing down and then you're left sort of craving which you either fill with more caffeine or sugary foods so you know are are you eating regular meals to sustain that blood sugar balance and are those meals well balanced with the right macronutrients so macronutrients are you know protein uh, the right type of carbohydrate so the right type is slow releasing um and some and you know plenty of vitamins and minerals uh which yes. are the micronutrients and some you know good fats you know so are you balancing those meals right or are you actually just loading with a bar of chocolate which is a load of fast releasing carbohydrate so as a nutritional therapist the first thing i'd always be saying where there's stress involved uh from a food perspective is are you balancing those meals with the right proteins, carbohydrates, and fats? And are you putting mm. plenty of those in it? Is it nutrient-dense from a micronutrient, so vitamins and minerals? Um, and are you hydrated? So are you drinking water in the right amount? You know, And are you avoiding those foods that we know add more stress to the body? So foods we know add stress are processed foods, yes. such as you know, refined sugars and and processed meat such as bacon and ham um and you know are you um you know and there's the elephant in the room conversation that always needs to happen which is alcohol yes um, that, that that just leads me to say once i was invited to a uh, corporate talk to talk at their pre-christmas drinks on stress and they were all going out <laughs> They were all going out about 20 minutes after I'd finished to go and get oh. drunk. And I was just oh. like, okay, right, look, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. Let's just get the alcohol conversation done because yes. I know you're going to drink tonight. Let's deal with how you're going to cope with it tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, but, you know, alcohol, caffeine, these, you know, these foods that are stimulants. So they're yeah. either messing about with your sugar levels or they're stimulating the body. So, um, so that from a nutrition perspective, we're looking at are you getting the right foods in there? Are you eating... Yes three regular meals and maybe a snack and are you avoiding those foods that are just going to make the system more overloaded from a stress perspective so um, i so i love there. coffee Do, should i should i not drink coffee then is that is that what you would suggest to people or would you go decaf or what would be your suggestion yeah. there because my morning coffee is like my little ritual little treasure I do love it. Me too. Yeah, don't worry it about is. it so i think you know i'm sure you it, get asked this a lot <laughs> all the time and it's not a one size fits all if i you know sure. there is nothing wrong with having a nice cup of decent coffee as part of your morning um if you know the rest of the day is fairly well balanced um yes. where it becomes a problem is when someone's having five six seven coffees a day or okay, where they're having yeah, those do coffees that. no late into the <laughs> afternoon because it's then stimulating them and they can't and they're wired and they can't get to sleep um now I take an individual approach when I see people so it's not a one-size-fits-all for some people no caffeine you know if it's quite a serious thing that's going on absolutely there's a conversation about reducing caffeine um but you know a cup of coffee for most people during the day shouldn't be an issue um, okay. and, and and then it's it's ha having it as part and it's back down it's down to balance it's you know balancing your life um and what you put into it and what you take out of it 
Um, now, word of caution, if anyone's listening to this and says, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have more than one coffee a day and they currently, currently have seven, don't drop <laughs> seven to one. Seven to <laughs> one, yeah. do, please, because you get these detox and uh, um, quite detoxy type reactions. So if people are going to reduce their caffeine, do it slowly. You know, yes. drop it by one every two to three days. Just, just take it nice and slow. Don't rush it. Um, but yes, so coffee and there's and there's there's been shown scientific uh, evidence to show, you know, caffeine can be quite beneficial in other ways. A good cup of coffee has been shown in some instances to assist with reducing Alzheimer's. To you know, mm. so to various things. So it's all in moderation. It's back down to that back, finding balance and all in moderation. And I love I a good that's cup so of decent coffee. <laughs> I think most people do, don't they? Most adults, anyway. When I was a child, I used to smell the coffee that my parents, and I'd be like, oh, that smells horrible. But then there, there comes like a turning point, I think, and you just yeah. go, oh, coffee. I <laughs> can't do without my morning coffee. No. But I think something that you said there is so important that it's not a one size fits all. And really, that's that's one of the main kind of topics that I, I want to get out there in this podcast is that health and well-being it's never a one-size-fits-all it's kind of looking at at what works for the individual so how mm. would 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 you suggest that someone would would find that there what fits them do you know what I'm mm. that I didn't phrase yeah. that very well oh. but you know what I mean no and from a nutrition perspective I always in the clinic use this quote which is you know one man's medicine is another man's poison Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody is different. I can have five people lined up with the same autoimmune condition, say rheumatoid arthritis, and how I would work with them is going to be completely different with each individual. Yes. And that's where we start to see problems because people will see this perfect food and that we must eat based on seeing social media and they've read this in the Daily Mail or they've done this. And sometimes it can be more harm. Than, than good and so yes. it, it's it, it's take everybody's different and you need to um really respect that and, and it's a good example even in the yoga classes you know we're all at, and I like it when you always say just take it to your own level everyone's everyone's there for their own different reason everyone's yes. got their own reason for doing trying to you know whether they're recovering from something whether they're trying to get fit whatever it is and so you know I would always say it's it it's just take it, it's taking it at your own pace. Um, and there's some basics, I think, from a nutrition perspective, the, the point I made a minute ago, there's some foundations that need to be appropriate for everybody eating a well-balanced meal, eating regularly, making sure it's nutrient-dense. But ha- what you do on top of that is going to be different for, for everybody, whether that be topping up with supplements, whether it be you know certain fasting regimes, whatever it is. Everybody yeah. is different. And I think people... It's hard to accept that because it's easy to look and go, well, what? she looks great. She's lost loads of weight and she looks so toned and so fit. What's she doing? I must do the same. Well, yes. that's not necessarily going to work for you. Um, yes. And, and that's where you can go wrong because then people will put more stress and say, well, why did it work for her and, or him and not for me? Um, we are, and, and I'm trained to what's called a functional medicine model. And if you think about functional medicine what it stands for is taking an individualized approach to each person we are all made genetically different so we've all got genetic predispositions so for example how my liver detoxifies is going to be uh, you know genetically different to to, to yours 
You know, I've yes. always been a lightweight when it came to wine anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but there's a genetic influence on everything. So we are predisposed to certain things anyway. And, um, and then we have all these different parts to our body, our detoxification, our hormones, so endocrine, our skeletal, uh, you know, our digestion, our, uh, you know, and, and neurotransmitters, all these different parts of the body. Um, and they're all going to be interlinked and affected by the environment. So that's what we do lifestyle, what we eat, the stress mm. that we're exposed to, you know, our genetics. And so everybody's body is going to be absolutely different and need individual attention. And that's where sometimes I end up having to do specific functional tests because, uh, you know, until you really know what's going on in a person's body, you, that one size fits all doesn't always apply. Yes. So, so ideally, I suppose most people would find a professional and they would seek out professional help. Um, but obviously yeah. that isn't available no. to everyone, is it? So no. for people that that's not available to, would you just say kind of trial and error and just learning to be a bit more intuitive and trust your instincts or what, yeah, what would I you agree. suggest? No, and I absolutely agree. And, you know, and it costs money to, to do individualized treatment or, it does, or yeah. see somebody individually. And, um, and and I think that's where getting those basics right. So, you know, you know, going back and I, I can I'll quote some books at the end for you if you want. You know, it's mm. it's reading the right books and the right things just to say, am I doing the basics right? And if I am and I'm starting to feel different, that's good. If I am mm -hmm. and I'm still not feeling different, then that's where you potentially might need some assistance. But doing the research, you know, so maybe accepting that you're not going to listen to everyone's got an opinion so if you're maybe not making progress someone's going to say well I did this and it worked and someone's because I did that yeah try try not to listen to to those people because your friends are lovely friends and really care about you but they're not experts they're an expert yes. on that they're an expert on their own body and their own experience yes. and that's as far as it goes so maybe just listening, and I think you said listen intuit intuitively to your own body and go, well, they told me that I should have more kefir and more fermented foods because it's fashionable um, and, um, and that would help my digestion. But I feel so much worse for it. Well, then don't have it because it's not don't necessarily it, yeah. better for everybody. Um, you know, in some instances, it can make people feel worse. So get the basics right. Do the reading um by all means but listen to your body there's, there's no better way than listening to your body and if something mm -hmm. doesn't feel right when you make that change whether it be exercise or uh you know what you eat or or some environment that you're in you know and you react negatively to that then it's not it's potentially not right for you um mm. so and that's why keeping a diary can be really helpful Yes, you know, a little yeah. diary. What have I eaten today? What did I do? What have I been exposed to? What stress have I had? How much screen time have I had? You know, all yes, these different yeah. factors and start to, and then you can start to look back and go, well, hang on, on the, every day that I was watching TV till midnight was the day I didn't sleep well. Okay. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. and you can start to see these patterns emerge and, 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 or, oh, every day that I ate, I don't know, um, pasta was the day I got bloated. Maybe I should maybe see by changing pasta for something else, whether that makes a difference. So yes. um, we can learn a lot ourselves yeah. by listening to our own bodies. 
Amazing. That's that's really great. Thank you, Helen. So another one of your specialist areas is helping women find holistic alternatives during the perimenopause and the menopause. And I think it's a topic that is almost still a little bit taboo, actually, even though yeah. half the world goes through it. And yet we kind of have this, you know, all the menopause, I'll, I'll worry about it when I get there. And I'm just going to kind of, I know I'm going to be grumpy and not myself for a few years. So I'm just going to, you know, not think about it until then. But I actually think, you know, we need to strip that taboo. And even women my age and, and younger, I think actually, you know, it's great to talk about it to prepare ourselves in in the best way for it um so maybe first of all could you describe the perimenopause and the menopause what they mm. actually are like what's going on in the body yeah. when we're going through those stages yeah and you know i'm 48 i am 48 yes i question my own age yes i am and you know it's one of those things where you just go really am i, am I is this going to happen to me no surely not no um, and it yes. is it's one of those but what's in i can't decide whether it's an age thing or whether the world is changing because um i would never have talked about the menopause at 10 15 years ago but it wasn't talked about openly either which is really mm. interesting so i can't I, so part of me wonders whether it's actually just it's less taboo now. It's been talked about a little bit more. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you hear a lot more women talk about it. So Zoe Ball on, you know, Radio 2, she's always referring to her hot sweats and all this kind of stuff. And you just think, fair, mm. you know, good on you, girl. So, yeah, yeah and, and the menopause thing really happened by chance for me from a, um, a professional perspective because I, maybe it's my age because I'm 48. So sort of over the past few years, I've found a lot of people coming to see me in my private clinic locally have been women of my age group and I'd say most of them weren't coming to me because it was menopause um, or perimenopause they had all these symptoms but when you look at them it was clearly the perimenopause um, and I'll talk more through that in a second but what was really yes. interesting for me was I put out um, on my Facebook two years ago just over two years ago um, I'll do a talk on the menopause because everyone had been sick will you just do some talks on it and I was so fully booked, I had to do four back-to-back -back talks over a month. Oh, wow. Because so many people wanted to come. I was just like, really? Are you kidding me? And it was just full of just women just of between, say, 40 and 55, just queuing up to go, all right, I want to know more. So it's very interesting, isn't it? There is people want information. So I'm not an mm. ex. I wouldn't say I'm an expert. There were a lot more ex people more expert at this topic than I am. But yes. having the training and the background and the scientific knowledge absolutely will explain what I know. And again, I'm more than happy to quote a couple of little books if people want further reading of mm. um, of people who are well respected in the industry. And so books you can trust, basically. But yeah. the, the menopause is a moment in time. Right. The menopause is when you have not had a period for 12 months. So when they've stopped. So the, the menopause, everyone talks about, oh, I'm in the menopause. I'm in the, well, the menopause is a moment in time. So I always say it's the perimenopause that is actually what we need to be talking about. And that stage in life can start from anywhere from 35 to 40. So all you ladies in your 30s, start thinking. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it, it's the average time that a woman will have that last period is 50, right? So if the perimenopause it starts around 10 years earlier, then we're looking at from about age 40 is when things are changing 
behind the scenes. So if you mm. think about when you have your periods, you've got this month. So let's assume, and I'm basing this on somebody that has has no earlier life issues or hormone imbalances. So somebody yeah. that will have their periods, you know, on average every 28 to 30 days. And at the beginning of that month, you know, they'll see their uh, hormones. So those first 14 days, their estrogen starts to climb. And then on around day 14, uh, they'll have this follicle stimulating hormone, uh, at which will tell the uh, the body to uh, um, produce uh, or release one of its eggs. Um, and that will then be the lady's most fertile time if she wants to get pregnant. Um, and then after that day 14, uh, the uh, estrogen starts to gradually drop off and the body will produce more uh, of a hormone called progesterone. So mm. the monthly cycle, and then, and then if you're not pregnant, after another 14 days, uh, you will shed the uterus, which is your period. So that's yeah. this beautiful thing that happens every month from maybe age 12 right through to age 50. Now, from yeah. about age 40, what starts to happen is the body uh, is running out of its supply of eggs. Mm-hmm. And, and so some months it might release one and some months it might not do. Um, which is why over the age of 40, you know, uh, trying to get pregnant can sometimes take a lot longer or be an issue for, for some people. So right, what's starting okay. to happen from the age of 40 is estrogen levels in general are maybe slightly starting to decline okay. and we're producing fewer of these these eggs. So then what starts to happen um uh, and, and if, you, if you just think what estrogen does, and this is really important because this would explain what's happening. If you think estrogen there's a brilliant book called The Female Brain. I bought it about 25 years ago. I've got it in front of me now. Luan Brizendine. I don't even know if it's produced anymore, but I urge anybody to read it who's interested in hormones. It's a really funny, quirky look at the female brain. But she yeah. quotes estrogen as the queen, all-powerful, in control, sometimes business, sometimes seductress, mm. friend of those feel-good chemicals, dopamine and serotonin right so estrogen does these brilliant things in the body it it, for our brain it helps against memory loss it helps to maintain our body temperature Uh, it regulates uh, the production of cholesterol in our heart it stimulates the you know the maturing uh in the ovaries and you know the menstrual cycle um it uh it, it helps preserve bone loss or bone density um it um it helps to prepare the glands you know for milk production in the um in the breasts and it um helps to keep the vagina lubricated and thick now mm. if suddenly as you're reaching these ages that estrogen is maybe not quite as high as it was because it gradually starts to decline well all of a sudden you're starting to see these imbalances and changes of all those things that that estrogen used to give us and that's where we start to see maybe some changes physically and emotionally because actually if it's been there to sort of support our brain well is it any wonder that suddenly people in their 50s go oh, just my memory's just not the same you haven't got yeah. dementia your estrogen levels are dropping or yes. you know p- people might get sort of breast enlargement or these hot flashes uh, or sore joints, or that's where we start to see more 
urinary tract infections because if the 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 vagina lining is thinner and it's not mm. as lubricated then you know when you have sex it, it potentially is a little bit more delicate and so you might be more prone to more UTIs yeah urinary yes. tract infections we also see things like um uh, uh, increased uh, sleep uh, uh, sleep disorders or mood swings um, and and depression is not unusual because mm. you're seeing these huge fluctuations of one month I'm getting a surge in estrogen, the next minute it's dropping because my body's trying to lower it and balance it out. And so what's happening over then? So I'm, this isn't, that was quite a negative spin on all those symptoms. I've thrown every symptom out there. Okay? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and it's very rare. that. But some women will really experience all of them. Some people go, yeah, well, my periods have changed a little bit. They're a bit heavier now or they're not as frequent. Um, yeah, I don't sleep quite as well. Or yeah, I get the odd. So, you know, everyone's different. But what tends to happen is what you really ideally want is from the age of 40 through to 50, you want this transition to be as slow and as steady as possible okay. because if suddenly everything is thrown into you know these fluctuations are just too extreme that's where you start to see these massive side effects yeah um, and so the more gradually you can really go through these changes the fewer of those hormone fluctuations and you think about it, it's no different than when we start our periods as teenagers we get these you know stop start more estrogen, less estrogen, the periods yeah. might be a bit heavier, a bit more painful, a bit moody. Um, and that's no different than what's happening as you approach 50. Sometimes some women will get really heavy periods. You know, some women will have really light ones. It's all very different. But the joke about it is most people who are going through this, see your average age is, you know, say 45 to 50, it's really happening you know, a lot of women might have teenage girls. So, you know, it's the blokes you've got to feel sorry for because you've got the teenage <laughs> girls going through it. And then you <laughs> at the same time. So, yeah, so, so that's yeah. what's happening in the body. And so there are side effects that can happen. Yeah, so it's so, quite a challenging so what, time. What would be your tips for navigating those phases then as holistically mm. as possible to, with the, the view of trying to make it as steady and as tapered as possible? Mm. Like, is it actually possible to to control that in some way? Or um, yeah, well, there is plenty of yeah, there's plenty of research that suggests that diet and lifestyle has the ability to influence how you experience the menopause right and so I worded that very carefully because that I can't I'm not going to sit here and say if you do this you will get through the menopause brilliantly sure because back yeah. to genetics everyone's different but there is plenty of research that shows certain things have the potential to help and and it there are there are a couple of things I think the first thing I want to say is back let's just can I step back to stress because sure cortisol which I talked about is a hormone estrogen and progesterone and testosterone are our sex hormones they all are made from the same source in the body and they all go down start a certain pathway in the same place so if you're stressed and your body's producing lots of cortisol well and it needs also to produce estrogen it's going to take the cortisol over the estrogen because your cortisol is needed for your blood pressure, your blood sugar, your immune system, your sleep. It's needed to, to keep you alive. Whereas a fluctuation in estrogen isn't quite as essential. 
And right. we call it what's called the cortisol steal. It will steal the attention from the estrogen and the other, the other hormones. So if you are dealing with a very stressful environment and you're not balancing your stress well, be it through, you know, not taking the time to relax, not doing, you know, we can talk through strategies for that in a second, then you're potentially going to be having problems from a, a sex hormone perspective. And mm. so one of the basics I would always be saying to people is, yes, we've got to get the basics right again. Are you eating balanced meals with the right type of carbohydrate that's slow releasing, plenty of protein, some good fats in there, so that, you know, the essential omega-3, 6, 9. Are you eating a nutrient dense with lots of vitamins and minerals and reducing all those processed foods and sugars? That's the basics for anybody. Mm. But if you're doing that and then you're running around running a half marathon every day and going crazy and you're not taking any time to relax and you're not sleeping and the cortisol is elevated, then that's going to take priority over your, your sex hormones. Right. And it's amazing. And, and it, you'd be surprised how many people I will work with and they're coming with menopause issues. And we start by working on their adrenal health and the adrenals right. are where the cortisol is made. And we start by looking at nutrition and lifestyle, you know, relaxation, yoga, uh, eating the right foods, rather than saying, well, let's just, let's just do a load of herbal supplements that we know help the menopause. Because you can pop as many pills as you like. It's not going to make a difference if you're not addressing the stress. So sure. there is a huge link between, you know, a, you know, a physiological link between our stress, what goes on in the body and the menopause. And so the two are very closely linked. And well, perfect. We just linked that beautifully there, Lucy, didn't we really? Stress yeah, we the did. Menopause. Yeah. It's um, like we so, planned it. <laughs> I know, I know. Absolutely. But, you know, and it's not, and it's no um, coincidence that when I look at functional tests for um, how hormones are behaving, a key part of that is cortisol and what's going on with the cortisol. Because if the cortisol is elevated, then... You, you may as well just not even bother doing any other work on the rest. So, yes. so yeah, so my plans, you know, my plans would always be what's going on stress-wise. Do we need to do some work there? Getting those back to getting those basics right is the foundation. And I, like a stuck record, if you're not eating those balanced meals and you're not hydrating and you're not avoiding those stimulants and those processed foods and all those things, the rest is a waste of time. Now, let's assume you're doing those well, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, then what else from a specifically from a menopause perspective um i would be saying well okay so we are you know you're moving properly you're not just doing stressful type of exercise you're balancing it with you know yoga and relaxation and meditation and you're sleeping well great and we're getting the basics right but we're still experiencing some problems now i'd be starting to say let's look a little bit deeper and see if there is some kind of hormone imbalance that's going on in there. And that's where I'd start to look specifically at things like potentially certain herbs that have been shown to assist with some symptoms of the menopause. So again, I'm not going out and say and advising people here, but you know, there's certain herbal supplements such as ashwagandha, rhodiola, yes. that have been shown in some cases to assist with certain symptoms. Um, and then I'd be looking at certain foods, such as foods that um, we call phytoestrogen or phytoestrogenic foods. And those foods have the potential to act 
like estrogen in the body in a very natural way. Those Ooh. foods we find in things like lentils and chickpeas, um, soy and things like that. And so for some people, and there is a big caveat on that, uh, uh, for some people, increasing those foods may also help. Where it doesn't help is where there's any history of things like uh, uh, um, excess estrogen or estrogenic or hormone type cancers in the family. Absolutely right. not appropriate. Um, so, but that's where, you know, I start to look into those. So that's where you go from this, uh, am I doing everything at a foundation level? It's not working. Maybe there's something individual to, to me that I might want to now explore. And that's where, yeah. But the lifestyle yeah. is a big one for me, you know? Yes. Yeah. All the stuff that you do you know, are you moving properly? Because if if you're, you know, I sometimes see people, they'll see a personal trainer five days a week and then wow. they're walking the dog and then they're going for a run at the weekends and, you know, where's the relaxation? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, and that can, right. you know, and if yoga isn't your thing, it can be something as simple as going for a nice slow walk in nature, mm. kind of taking time to look at the shapes of the trees and look at the, you know, look at the, for, you know, the formation of the countryside or whatever it is. It doesn't have yeah. to be yoga, just something that's a bit more gentle, yeah, um, a bit more and mindful. Yeah. And there's plenty yeah. of, there's plenty of options now, isn't there? If meditation, really sometimes I have to be sometimes careful when I throw the word meditation. I've got to look for the reaction in their eye. Oh my yes. gosh, she said the yeah. M word. You the know, M well, word. My, yeah. Mindfulness is that a bit gentler? Um, yes. Um, but say breathing, uh, walking. You know, walking with the, you know, yeah, you know, a anything like that. Um, uh, but I think people are a lot more open to these types yes. of um, holistic lifestyle changes now. For sure. I think so. I think so too. Mm. Well, my goodness, we have covered a lot of ground there, Helen. Thank you so <laughs> much. That's I, I'm going to have to listen right. to this about three or four times myself just to go yeah. back and take notes on everything that you've said because there's been a lot of information, a lot of really yeah. amazing information. So thank you That's okay. so much. So but there are some off... books, though, that people could listen, you know, could read. You know, if people want more information... Um, yeah. there's a couple of little books if you want me to just quote them I did make a note yes. of them because yeah, go on then. Um, you know and so I, I if, if it's the those foundation levels those basics and going what does she mean protein what does she mean right type of carbohydrates because I you mm. know I haven't got all day to explain it. I like yes. there's a really good book called the five pillar plan by Dr Chatterjee and I've got he that one yeah yeah brilliant and that talks about just the very basics it's not, it doesn't go into it in depth but he is functionally medicine trained. So you yes. know it's a reliable source. You know it's not some person who's who's into it, you know, and it's fashionable at the moment. You know, and, and he used to be a GP or still is, I think, a GP doctor. So I like that book because that's going to give you the foundation of what a balanced diet looks, diet looks like. But he also throws in there, as you, you, you've got it, he, he throws in there a little bit about how to move, how to breathe, how to balance everything else. And then if it's He's very more practical as well. Oh, he is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he yeah, is a great character. I've met him a few times and he's... he's um, he, he, but he, he's very tall. But that's he going, I was like, look, <laughs> he is very tall. Um, and, then, and then the other book from a menopause, I like... Uh, Marilyn Grenville, Natural Solutions to the Menopause. Again, she is a doctor that she's, again, 
but backed by good research. So you know you're not looking at some fad diet here. It's been backed by yes. scientific research. Really good read on um, the menopause. And what's good is actually she explores some of those sort of um, myths that are out there as to what's appropriate and what's not, so and what might be safe and what's not. So that might be a good one for anyone who's interested. Mm, amazing. Thank you. That's, that's okay. really great. I think it's nice to have those resources for people to turn mm. to. Um, mm. All right, Helen. So let's do our, our quick fire final five questions today. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, yes, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, okay. Question number one. What are your top three wellness tips to include in your wellness toolkit? I think I've quoted some of them, but the first one is get the foundation right, you know. Foundations, you the, yeah. Yeah, get the foundations of a balanced meal uh, and your balanced, you know, regular eating right. Uh, Lifestyle's not just about food. I might be a nutritional therapist. Um, you know, this is, it's food is one part, but it's not everything. What's going on in your life, you know, addressing all those lifestyle uh, factors. Um it was three things, wasn't it? Ooh, what's my third one? <laughs> <laughs> I think get the foundations right. Look at what's going on in your life. Uh, yeah. Then seek help if it's not working. Amazing. Brilliant. Okay, question number two. What is the very first thing you do in the morning? So precious. I, I am the first up every morning. I'm the first person in this house. I, I've always been a morning bird um uh morning lark isn't it but um yes. i i just treasure that time i my mm. first thing in the morning is uh i just like quiet whether that's interestingly whilst the weather's been nice and i haven't had to do the school run then i've been taking that time to have my herbal tea uh just outside just standing up under the tree in the garden the dog's probably having a good old run around and it's just me nobody else um and i that that is probably the first thing i do is just quiet even if it's five ten minutes i can't i can't start the day without it that sounds like a really nice way to start the day because mm. if anybody interferes they get shouted yeah, up yes. this is my time <laughs> what are you doing yeah. up oh, <laughs> i went amazing. out the other day my husband came out and i said what are you doing and he went well i said what are you doing <laughs> This I went, is for me. Five minutes. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Straight back in the house. <laughs> oh, bless him. All right. So, question number three What is the last thing you do at night? I, it's turning everything off. It's, I, mm. um, the, the kids hate me for it, especially my teenage two hate me mm. for it. The, the, the Wi Fi goes off all screens are off no screens in the bedroom no phones mm. in the bedroom and it's the last if I'm the last bed which I often aren't actually um uh, but it's one of those if I'm not personally switching everything off I am giving instructions to make sure that every phone uh, every device is outside of bedrooms and that the wi-fi plug is switched off by the last that goes to bed I absolutely is there is this back to the research there's plenty of evidence to show that it can influence sleep but it um it means that not just me but everyone in the house is just switching off properly I like that rule I think we're gonna mm -hmm. have to start to implement that one in our house as well mm -hmm. that's a really really good rule mm -hmm. 
Okay, so number four, you have mentioned a few books already, but what's what's your favorite book? And it doesn't have to be wellness or food. It can be mm. something else, just a book that's inspired you. Or if it, if you want it to be food related, then that's fine as well. No, it's a really good question because when I was really poorly, um, it it got, I started to read again. Not read as in you know I'm looking at my book cabinet here and I must have over 100 books that are science-based you know toxicity and all these kind of books but Mm. actually I made this rule that I never read a book on science or nutrition or lifestyle management before bed yeah I made that rule a couple of years ago uh because that is work and so I started to read again and it was just lovely and and when I was ill with what we think was the covid a friend dropped five books on my doorstep and Oh, I've read them all because I, I was in bed a bit more. And, and actually, I read recently a really good book called Education by, I wrote it down where, what's her name? Oh, Tara Westover. Really mm. nice book. It, 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 it's, yes, there you go. It's a book about the importance of uh, what education can do to somebody who's living in a very stressful um, childhood um, and growing up and what education did for that person so no I I, I read I read regularly so yeah that's a good amazing. one I literally finished that about a week ago yeah amazing so education education by Tara Westover really nice book Great. yeah brilliant and number five the final one do you have a mantra or an intention that you live by I do and I think I use it all the time which is just keep it real just keep it real you know I try to maybe it's my northern roots I don't know I I just say I just I just I'm trying to be as realistic as possible so whether that's you know not saying to somebody you know I need you to stop drinking wine completely it's not going to happen keep it real so should we look at maybe dropping that a little bit back to the coffee conversation you know I'm not saying don't drink coffee let's keep it real real lives happen we have stress we have children we have partners, we have grievances, we have to make money to live, we have to feed ourselves, you know, life can be stressful. And there are there are realities. So my motto is just, you know, keep it as real as you can without putting too much pressure on yourself. So yeah, we all want to be really healthy. And I want to we all want to be the best that we can be, but keep it real at the same time. And don't put too much pressure on yourself. And I think that I, I really firmly feel strongly about that. Um, you're perfect. never going to find me being that nutritional therapist that is perfect. No. And I would never expect <laughs> anybody to be perfect because I don't think that is healthy. No. Yeah. No, I'm the same. I'm definitely not your perfect yoga yoga instructor, that's for sure. But we're just yeah. normal people at the end of the day. <laughs> and that's why I love coming to your so- classes because I can fall over and giggle or I can oh. be the worst in the class or I can push myself if that's the kind of mood I'm in that day. And, and that's okay, right? Because exactly. it's, that's it's the real okay. world we live in. And it's okay it if sure I've got, is. you know what, I'm not looking my slimmest in these pants today or, you know, or whatever. That, And I think that's why I love coming to your classes because all shapes, Aww. sizes, personalities and age groups fit. And that's important. Oh, thank you, Helen. That means so much. So mm-hmm. finally, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where should we send them to? Mm. Uh, well my my website which you know i haven't updated it for some time it's probably looking a bit old but helen the food coach dot co dot uk is my website so 
have a read about me if you want there. And um, yeah, that should tell you a bit. Perfect. Well, Helen, thank you so much again. This has been so much fun. And as I said, I've, I've learned so really enjoyed much. it. Oh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And this is my first podcast. I've never done one. So, yes, oh. the kids are all giggling away going, oh, you're going to be, on, you know, uh, thanks, children. Uh, but no, it's been oh. an absolute delight. I mean, I've enjoyed every minute of it and that's what it's about. So, no, thank you. And I hope people just get something from it. That's important to me. Oh, I think they will. There's been lots of gems in there today. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day, Helen. You too. See you soon. Bye. Bye. So once again, thank you so much to Helen for sharing her own experiences and also, of course, for sharing her expertise on stress and the menopause. I think talking about the menopause really needs to be done more often, actually. The taboo needs to be broken. I think especially as a woman, I think back to the education I received when I was younger and we really weren't taught anything about the menopause. I know it might seem a little bit silly teaching teenagers about what's going to happen when they grow up, but I think this knowledge is so, so important. And if we talk about it more, we can really break those terrible images, I think, sometimes that we, we paint of women going through menopause. We kind of just brush it off as, oh, I'm going to be angry and cross for however many years or oh she's going through the menopause you know she's just going through one of her crazy spells I think actually if we had a greater understanding of our hormones and what's going on underneath the surface actually for both men and women um, then we can we can get so much more out of those conversations and we can help each other through those transitions and I of course will be sure to include all of the books she mentions in the show notes as I think lots of you are now going to want to go away and do your own research. So as I mentioned at the beginning today, instead of a straightforward meditation, what I'm going to talk you through is actually a really practical tool for helping you to manage stress. I'm going to introduce you to a yogic breath technique or pranayama is the word we use and pran means life force or energy, ayama means extension and expansion and this pranayama it's called nadi shodana, the channel cleansing breath. I'm going to talk you through doing three rounds of breath through the left nostril, three rounds of breath through the right nostril, and then three rounds of the alternate breathing. So inhaling left, exhaling right, inhaling right, exhaling left. Now really, if you want to get more out of this, I would definitely advise more than three rounds. When I teach this in class, it's at least six rounds of each, but I wanna keep it short so that you can get a nice snapshot of this technique for you to use in your life. But if you do want to see a longer version, I have one of those up on my Instagram channel. So if you are looking to take part in this breath technique, first of all, you're gonna to want to make sure that you are seated in a seated upright position. And whenever I do pranayama, I always close my eyes just to help me focus and turn the gaze inwards. So if you are ready to practice some Nadi Shodana with me now, then come to sit. Make sure you're sitting nice and tall through the, through the spine. So ground down through the sit bones, lift and lengthen through the crown of the head. 
And in a moment's time, I'm going to instruct you to take your index finger and middle finger, so we'll call those the peace fingers of your right hand, and rest them onto the bridge of your nose. And when it comes time to practice the Nadi Shorana, we're going to close off the right nostril using the thumb. So you might just want to practice that now, gently plugging under the right nostril using the thumb. And then when it comes time to open the right nostril and plug the left, you're going to use your ring finger, the fourth finger. So again, you might just want to practice that now. Okay, so thumb to block the right nostril, uh, ring finger, the fourth finger to gently plug the left nostril. And we're going to keep it simple today, just working with an inhale of four and exhale of four. This can be done at a different count depending on kind of how experienced you are in this practice. And it can also be done with breath retention at the top of the inhale and the bottom of the exhale. But as I say today, we're just going to keep it nice and simple, inhaling four, exhaling four. So prepare to sit nice and tall. Take the peace fingers of your right hand, rest them onto the bridge of your nose and gently plug underneath the right nostril. We have three breaths in and out through the left, beginning by inhaling one, two, three, four. Exhale one, two, three, four. Inhale one, two, three, four. Exhale one, two, three, four. Inhale one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, four, close the left, open the right, three breaths here, inhale, one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, four, inhale, one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Now closing your right, open the left. We have the alternate breathing now. Inhale, left, one, two, three, four. Exhale, right, one, two, three, four. Inhale, right, one, two, three, four. Exhale, left, one, two, three, four. Inhale, left, one, two, three, four. Exhale, right, one, two, three, four. Inhale, right, one, two, three, four. Exhale, left, one, two, three, four. Inhale, left, one, two, three, four. Exhale, right, one, two, three, four. Inhale, right, one, two, three, four. Exhale, left, one, two, three, four. Now rest your hand down. And you may want to take now a couple of deep breaths through both of the nostrils. Taking a moment to tune into how that might have made you feel. Even just a few deep breaths there, hopefully a little calmer, a little less stressed, a little more grounded. Take your time, stay in this space as long as you need to.
and I hope you have a beautiful day.